Well, I feel like talking, so I hope you feel like listening. Let's do another podcast. Let's discuss five topics on loving and hating marketing, ignore the great attractors, failing to follow your own advice, your tools serving you versus getting in your way, and thoughts on crowdfunding. Let's do it. You're listening to Make the Game with Matt Hackett. So I think the first three bullet points are kind of uh, some corrections or additional thoughts that I had. Uh, and I'm going to call them merge conflicts. It's a merge conflict. Uh, just an update to uh, some prior thoughts. So on loving and hating marketing, it's all uh, a love-hate relationship, right? Like, you know, hate is closer to uh, love than it is to indifference. Like I resent per certain parts of marketing, right? But like I resent certain parts of game development for sure. User interface and bugs. I really hate optimization. I resent that I have to optimize stuff. I wish I could just write it. You know what I mean? I wish uh, we figured out the tech from the other side where I can just be lazy as a creator and be like, look, it's a for loop. And then the tech had figured out how to optimize that for me. But instead it feels like we make stuff, right? And then we have to kind of do this dance to figure out like, okay, well I made it, but now I have to like kind of redo everything. I have to break it first to put it back together to make it actually fast and actually ready for production, you know? Um, so I resent that and I resent, you know, certain parts of the entire creative process. So I don't mean to pick on marketing too much. Um, it's just that I've been focusing on it a lot and um, it's like a, it's a pain to the, the creator um, side of me, the creative side of me, you know? Um, so I, you know how I love my analogies. Let's, uh, let's dig into one. Um, I want to talk about marketing as pertains to a shovel, right? Very relatable. Everybody's, everybody knows what a shovel is. So let's start there. A shovel is not designed to get your attention, right? It's designed to dig holes. Marketing or like the promotional side of marketing is designed to get your attention or like more accurately to find the people who need shovels, get their attention and then convince them that they should buy your shovel or whatever, right? Now a game is intended to entertain you or enlighten you or fulfill you or challenge you, right? But really like a game just wants your attention. That's what marketing wants. That's what a game wants. So either they're the same thing or they're like at least on the same page, right? And I think part of the resentment from me from the marketing is not about the marketing itself. It's that the implication is that if our game designs didn't take off, it's because they're not exciting enough, right? If games and marketing are kind of the same thing, then if marketing our game was unsuccessful, it's because the game lacked. It's because we, we didn't make a good enough game, you know? Like they get tied up together. And again, like I said before, I think it's all fair, right? Marketing as a discipline can be particularly sciencey, you know, with actual data and numbers to back it up. And that can kind of feel harsh sometimes, right? Where you, you put your heart on your sleeve and you put it out there and it's like, look, your numbers are terrible for this. And sometimes it feels like it punishes the creative side, right? But marketing itself can also be super creative. Like I was talking a bit about content marketing earlier, which I really like. I like those comics I've been drawing. Those are super fun and people really like them. Works great. There's also uh, guerrilla marketing, right? Getting creative with campaigns and whatnot. My favorite example I can think of, uh, the one that comes to mind the most often is the Stroke of Genius from Greenheart Games. When they launched Game Dev Tycoon, they uploaded a pirated version of the game to torrent sites, which had a change that made it hard to make money in the game because of all the pirates. So then real life software pirates would then complain about this on their forums, revealing that they had not in fact purchased the game. And this story was so compelling, I remember reading about it on popular news sites like Slashdot. Super smart and super creative. Really effective marketing. If you want to hear more about that, listen to the old Lostcast episode 69, Greencast. Okay, continuing on the marketing rant, 
uh, I brought up Undertale, which I tend to do, and I am trying to do less. So Undertale is a horrible example to use for anything other than like a one-of-a-kind creator finding their voice and becoming a worldwide phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking there's got to be a, a specific term for this. It's something, it's, it's a cousin at least to survivorship bias, but that's not quite right. But do you know what I mean? Like looking at Undertale as an example for anything from my perspective is like I might as well be looking at the moon. Most of us are not operating on that level. And when I was ranting about marketing, I, I was like, you, you know, would Undertale have survived the executive marketing machine if it was ground up in that process? And I think, yes, I, I think it would have. The hook is something like the RPG where nobody has to die. That's a great hook. And, you know, Toby Fox did the right thing. He went to Kickstarter. Let me look this up real quick. Yeah, that's a pretty modest Kickstarter. So $50,000 about, and the game went on to be a multi-platinum selling game. So great concept, great hook, proved the concept on Kickstarter, took it to Steam and every other platform, and just exploded everywhere. And the games that I talk about too much include Undertale. I shouldn't talk about Splunky anymore. It's also a multi-platinum bestseller. Probably most of the games that I bring up are games I shouldn't actually be studying or comparing my own games to, right? Like, I'm probably in the right neighborhood when I talk about games like Bone Razor Minions. And as like Chris C. mentioned on a previous podcast, Brotato even, it should not even be on my radar. It's a hit game. So I've been focusing so much on the minutia, these tiny little details of all these things revolving like, you know, involving marketing and running a company and stuff. And so um, at night, I like to kind of unwind with uh, space videos. You know, since I'm so zoomed in uh, every day, I like to zoom out and, you know, my favorite videos are the ones that kind of look at the entire observable universe, right? And I learned this new term called the Great Attractor, which is this area in space that's kind of pulling uh, galaxies like our own Milky Way galaxy towards it. And so that's what I'm going to call games like this. Undertale, to me, is a great attractor where I'm very fond of it. I love it. I'm so impressed by the game. I use it as an example of, you know, how people want you to be creative, how solo game developers can do it, how you can make graphics and music and source code, and how character matters and story matters. And I can think about that game and play that game and love that game, but I need to stop using it as like marketing examples or anything kind of grounded in the reality of what I'm trying to do day to day, right? So, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere for yourself. I, I kind of draw it like if the bar is three years or more out from what I can reasonably do today, then it's beyond my grasp and it's a great attractor and I need to begin to ignore it. So you've probably got your own bar, whatever that is, relative to where you are. And then you've probably got your own games, the ones that you like a lot or the ones that you talk a lot about. But, you know, examine those and see if they're great attractors for you or if they actually are good examples to look at and compare your own progress to. Next, I want to talk about failing to follow your own advice. I missed a main point I wanted to bring up with regarding uh, with regards to making big indie games, which is that I flubbed advice I give in the tutorial package itself. I say in there, you need to find the right price. If you go too low, you're not excited to push the game because it'll never really move the needle for you, right? Like if it's a buck and you get one sale, you're like, you know, that's cool. And like when you first start out, you feel really good about those purchases, right? But later on down the road, like, you know, if you're trying to pay your bills with that, it's never going to get there. And the price doesn't need to be super high. You know, these days, uh, uh, Vampire Survivors is another great attractor we should never talk about again, but it kind of created this space where you can succeed with like a $3 game, right? But if you think about that, three bucks is triple 
$1. You know, that sounds like a small step, but it's huge. Imagine you had a $10 game for sale versus a $30 game for sale. Like the price matters so much. Once in a while, I will see a game on Steam. They'll have a really high revenue, and I wonder why that is. I drill in, the game's like 25 bucks. It's really rare I see that for indie games, but when they're able to charge that much, the one sale, two sales, three sales, that can start to really move the needle for them. But you gotta be careful because if you go too high, then you're gonna have a hard time selling your game. You're gonna have your users complain. You're gonna see more of those reviews where they're like, what in the world? Why is this game 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever you charged? You'll see more reviews with a you know negative review and they'll say, wait for a sale or something. And then in my case, for making big indie games, the price is high high enough to make me uncomfortable, and so I don't push it as aggressively. Whereas, I'm happy to push my book, How to Make a Video Game All By Yourself, out now on Amazon for $14.99, 10 bucks digital on Itchworth Gumroad. I'm happy to tell you that because I think it's reasonable. I'm not saying, you know, 100 bucks for a tutorial package is unreasonable. I follow lots of developers who have, you know, packages like that and, and even way more expensive out there. Anyway, pricing is hard and I kind of messed that up for myself. I didn't follow the own advice that I give in the package itself. And you know, oh, failing to take your own advice, like how embarrassing, um, what a hypocrite or something, right? But here's the truth about most advice, I think, given online is, you know, the authors giving that advice to themselves, right? And advice is not really singular in nature all the time, right? Like for me, I need to hear things repeatedly. It's one of the reasons I write them down and share them, you know? There's this marketing term, effective frequency, which is uh, the amount of times that a consumer needs to hear about a product before they kind of make up their mind about it, right? And it's different for everybody, for every product and situation or whatever, but somewhere around seven times is how many times uh, your average person needs to hear about something before it'll stick. And that's for marketing, but I think the same thing can be true for advice sometimes. I think for me personally, some things I'm just not gonna learn unless I try myself and I get burned by it. You know, I'll read, don't put your hand you know, above the stove because it'll burn you. And I'm like, cool, I got it. But then in some situations, probably not that one because the fire, you can tell it's hot. Uh, but sometimes, you know, things are uh, obfuscated from you. It's nebulous. And you're like, is that even a flame? Like you can't actually, you can't see it. You can't feel the heat. So you put your hand in there and then, yeah, it burns. That's sometimes what it takes for me to learn. And I think in this case, yeah, I will be more cognizant of the price and stuff. I think for games, it's a lot easier because most of us are aiming for Steam and there's just so many examples now. You know, oh, the Indie Apocalypse is a million games. We can just go look and be like, you know, oh, here's 20 games like mine. Here's the average price. Here's how long it takes to beat them. And you can kind of zero in on it. But with something like a tutorial package, I don't know, I got, unless I was, if it were on Udemy or something, it'd be easier. I could compare with the other packages there. But it's kind of out on its own, floating on my own pages. I don't know. Anyway, I know a lot of you uh, listening also give out advice, and uh, I just don't want you to feel bad if you fail to take your own advice, right? Because I do it, and we all do it, and it's kind of natural. Next up, your tools serving you versus getting in your way. Any Lost Cast listeners listening? This one's for you. I was talking to Lost Cast co-host Jeff Blair recently, and we were talking about TypeScript versus JavaScript, and sort of like the language getting in your way versus just letting you work. JavaScript is interesting because it gets hated on a lot, but it's my favorite language, and I don't care. Come at me. I've learned enough of these languages to make a game. QBasic, Visual Basic, Turbo Pascal, C++, Python, Java, ActionScript, JavaScript, TypeScript, C Sharp, uh, Lua. 
I think that's it. There might be one or two more in there. And not all of them I've spent years with or something. The most prominent ones to me would be like QBasic and JavaScript. Oh, PHP. Yeah, I guess I made a game or two in PHP. Anyway, certainly I never learned enough C++ to make a, a game that uh, without memory leaks, which is pretty important. But to me, JavaScript is the most like a tool in my hand, like a hammer or a knife. I get to get my hands in there. A lot of other languages, it feels like I have access to like a game pad, like an arcade stick, and I'm using it to control an arm that's holding the hammer. You know what I mean? There's just, especially a language like uh, Java, not to single one out or whatever, but you know, I think people understand. Like if you've messed with it, there's just a lot of boilerplate. You know, sometimes you need five lines to get across what other languages let you do in one, that kind of a thing. And yes, I know about TypeScript. I've used TypeScript. I like TypeScript. I've used it professionally on multiple games. I've shipped solid games into production, tens of thousands of users. And I would recommend TypeScript for teams and for libraries. If you have multiple people wanting to get in there, knowing the types of things and having more structure is just a good thing. JavaScript is pretty loose and it can be harder to get everybody on the same page. But when I'm just making games for myself, it's what I know the most, I can move the fastest. I like that it's loose. I like that it lets me just throw keys onto objects. It lets you shoot yourself in the foot, but I like that ability. I like the power it brings me. There's these little subtle things too. Like I recently ran into a bug. I had a big object literal and I was using the keys to represent objects, uh, but I was using them as integers, right? So the way that works is you'd have uh, an object literal and you'd say, you know, string quotes one equals object, right? And the one would be the ID I check, but it's actually a string and not an integer. So if I read in the ID of something, say from a spreadsheet or a JSON file or something, and it was an integer, and I did a typecast conditional check, and I said, hey, is this uh, key in my object the same as this value from the spreadsheet or something? In TypeScript, you'd be, you'd be doing a triple equal check and it would come back false. And actually that's what I was doing in JavaScript too. So I had this bug where I wasn't able to read my IDs and I'm like, what's going on? And that's not great. And that's a common bug that people fall into when you're using JavaScript because it lets you do things like that that are a little dirty. But the thing is, is that triple equal check was kind of leftover behavior from my TypeScript days. So I just removed that type conditional and then you just ask JavaScript with the weird way it works. You say, hey, is string one the same thing as integer one? And it's like, yeah. And that's kind of how I want my code to work. It's like, you know, yeah, I don't really care if it's an integer or not. And if I do, I have the ability to check that too. Also, I like things like a really rough and quick truthy or falsy check. I don't like to say, you know, oh, if ID equals not undefined, or if ID triple equals null, or if ID is greater than zero, or ID greater than minus one. I just like to say if ID, if entity. Here's a trick I like to use for things like entity ID, which would just be a number and you want it to increment to be a unique identifier, right? So if you just start with one, you can do all of your checks as truthy or falsy. You can just say if entity ID and JavaScript will be cool. But if you start at zero, you can't do that because the first valid value would be zero and JavaScript would say, no, false, zero is false. So you can solve that however you want to. In TypeScript, it really wouldn't be an issue, but I like to do it the rough, easy way. I think JavaScript sometimes also gets looked at as not a real tool or something, and that's BS. In the Vampire Survivors documentary, again, a uh, great attractor, I should stop talking about Vampire Survivors, but 
There's a relatable example here, I swear. Uh, Vampire Survivors documentary from Noclip. The devs were talking about their current really weird pipeline. So the creator Ponkel still works in JavaScript. He will create new weapons and content and stuff in that code base because he knows it well and he knows how it works. Then his team now has to meticulously recreate the JavaScript game portion, like the new update that he wrote. They have to take that and then recreate it in their new tech stack, which is Unity, to make it fast and make it run everywhere, you know? That's amazing. The old game that used to be the thing that you would buy on Steam, and I think is probably still the thing that you play on Itch, that has kind of morphed into a tool, right? A, a prototyping tool that lets Ponkle go in there, create stuff really rapidly without having to learn Unity. It just shows how fast JavaScript can be and what a great tool it can be. Anyway, the overall point being is that the technology should get out of your way. For me personally, TypeScript introduces two main things I'm not willing to compromise on. For one, there's like the preprocessor, right? Which you have to, it, it turns the TypeScript into JavaScript and it's, there's really good systems in place. It can listen to file changes and, and it's really fast and it can do that for you quickly. But I don't like that step in there in the middle at all. If, if I can not have it, then I don't want it. And again, for teams or libraries, it's a good choice. The other factor is it kind of slows me down when I'm trying to move quickly, especially in the prototype phase. When I constantly have to think about like, oh, is this an integer? Or, you know, I just want to throw a property onto this object, but I can't do that because I have to go update the definition for it or something. That's all fine. And I do that kind of thing when I work in other platforms like Unity. But when I don't have to worry about that, I can stay in the flow faster. So anyway, if something's good enough, like it, it works for you, ship it, you know? You only really need to switch to some other software or tech stack if you hit some impassable hurdle. Like when I hear somebody uses MS Paint, I'm like, fine, yeah, use it. Use whatever works for you, make your thing, and if you ever need to, you can redo it in something else. Next up, we got crowdfunding. So uh, Kickstarter and similar platforms, they're interesting, right? I made a Veladria account, but then there's like a waiting period or something. And I checked my personal Kickstarter account and I actually used that thing. I've backed over two dozen projects and I was surprised to see this. I, I don't remember this at all, but that's where LDG launched the successful uh, Crypt Run campaign, with which we then renamed to Wizard's Lizard. So here we go, a new Kickstarter campaign from my personal account. Kickstarter is its own beast. It's pretty interesting. There's the campaign duration, the rewards, the timelines, backer support, artwork. Like there's a ton to do. And honestly, I've not been eager to get back into that bed, right? Like my last campaign we ran, AWL2 through LDG performed very poorly. But this time I am trying to be more modest. Like how much to ask for is always really hard, right? Like my monthly contractor rate is five figures. And by the time the Kickstarter launches, I'll have worked on the game for at least that long. But you know, if I come in hot asking for something like 50K, I don't know how to make a campaign of that size successful. But like how low do I go? Okay, I know for sure I can get a buck. And yes, I, like, okay, I feel really confident and get 2K. I feel very confident all the way up to like 5K, <laughs> which is the number that we, that we asked for for Crypt Run years and years ago. Once we start to raise it, like 10K, I'd start to lose confidence. I think that the game would need to leave my orbit of, of friends and followers and find the larger gamer audience, which is something I really struggle with. So there's always this tightrope walking, right? Between like, I've already invested my own time and money into the project. 
and I have to offer its funding on a deep discount on my own time, right? But what is that number? Too low and I flubbed it. Like I might not even be able to afford to make it and I might be on the hook to do that anyway. Too high and you know, let's say I ask for 40K. I think that was what AWL2 asked for or something. And again, I don't know how to, you know, I haven't learned some new magical thing since then. I don't know how to hit that number. And so if I don't, I'm not gonna make the same mistake LDG did and continue to make the game. This is That's one of the things that this Kickstarter campaign is all about is, is this a good concept? Because if it's not, I'm walking away and I do not get to work on it. Put handcuffs on me or something. If you have to, don't let me work on it if it doesn't get funded. So I don't know, it's really difficult. My gut tells me somewhere between five and 10K, but it's hard. Uh, Kickstarter has this new tool, I guess, where you'll plug in how much you actually need to pay for the project. And then they'll tell you how much to raise that amount to, to hit the fees and stuff, right? So I, I gave it uh, 10K and it suggested 14K. So like 40% almost just to hit the, the fees and whatnot. So I don't know, it's difficult. Next, let's go ahead and talk about the game. And this is miserable for me because I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But here it is. It's Pixel Washer. Have a relaxing time power washing beautiful pixels as Pixel the Pig. And it's up on Kickstarter. Kickstarter.com slash project slash Richtor slash Pixel Washer. Please follow it. The follower count only shows how many followers there are if at least 10 show up. So I really want to hit that bar. Please go. <laughs> Uh, so for those in the know, Pixel Washer started as a little weekend concept jam I did. And I made a little YouTube uh, video for it. And I, there's also an article you can see on Vladry.com. This was something I made just really quickly in Lua. I, I did it also in Clip Studio Paint just to kind of make a screenshot and a GIF. And uh, I have a work in progress pitch deck and stuff like that. I did some work on the concept and I, I tweeted about it and it only, you know, only got uh, 17 retweets. But for me, that is spectacular. <laughs> Nothing I've ever put out for Witchmore has had more than, I want to say like five, maybe as many as 10 or something. But Pixel Washer just with super low effort got more. It wasn't, it didn't go viral or anything, but it gave me a pretty good signal. But then I think more importantly, I sent it to people tight in my circle who uh, as opinions I really value, one of them thought it was a real game and they were like, oh cool, I'll go check out this person's game. And I was like, that's not a real game. That's something I'm working on. And they're like, oh, like that looks finished and it looks like something that should exist. So I'm like, oh, okay. And then I sent it to uh, another friend I respect. And they were like, why, what are you working on? And I'm like, which more? And they're like, why aren't you working on this? You should work on pixel washer. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I have got some signals. I definitely didn't get enough signals to where I'm like, oh, obviously this is the next big thing I got to work on. But I got some, and I also think that the time commitment is low enough that it made sense for me to move, to move forward with it. I also just kind of couldn't resist a little bit. I kind of needed to step away from Witchmore for a little bit to kind of let it relax, let some, let some of the dust settle before I come back to it. And Pixel Washer was a super relaxing way to kind of uh, distract myself for a while. I'm trying things different this time. There's still no playable demo of Witchmore. That's not true. There is one, it's, it's not great. Uh, the Pixel Washer uh, project though has a demo. You can play it on itch right now. It's already out there. I, it was so, I had it password protected at first 
and I was like, you know what, I just need to start, I need to get over this. So you can go play it right now in your browser. So I think this will be fun to actually talk about the game a bit because I've gotten away from that. I think with, with Witchmore, I'm too distracted by the changing of direction and stuff. And I think a lot of times I'm so bogged down by the other process stuff. I'm bogged down by the marketing. I'm bogged down by, I mean, even like the process of having to podcast about things puts up this kind of, you know, it's another hurdle to jump over to get to like the, the nitty gritty of the development, you know? So I want to talk about the actual uh, creation of Pixel Washer. I was really excited to tackle this project because it gives me the perfect excuse to focus on JavaScript and to focus on Canvas 2D. And Canvas 2D is a really weird API because it's kind of like not even recommended anymore. You should really use WebGL for most of the stuff that you want to do in the browser. But I don't know, I'm really old school and I think just the canvas is so cool. It's really just an image, right? It's image data and you you maximize it to be the size of the browser and then you update the image data pixel by pixel. It's awesome. So I really wanted to get back into that and I had a really nice code base. I was just calling ECS. It's just my own from scratch written ECS in JavaScript. And I was using it for a couple of different prototypes. I was working on like a kind of a auto playing RPG simulator, some kind of uh, land manager, landscaper. It had a pretty robust UI and windowing system and it was pretty clean code. So I just decided to use that. I thought about continuing with the Lua code base I'd started, but the thing is, is it was not very clean because I had hacked it up a lot just to get the GIF up and running. And I also just really missed JavaScript. I love it. Lua is a lot like JavaScript, which is one of the reasons I like Lua so much. It, like it took almost nothing for me to learn Lua, but I just prefer JavaScript. Like even just the way Lua does iterations over objects is strange. So I took that code base, I just slapped the name Pixel Washer in there, and I started importing these beautiful assets I'd collected over the years, especially pixel art by Gutty Kroom. Hope I pronounced that right. There's all these Gutty collections, Gutty Fantasy, Japan collection, Gutty Tiny. That's one of the ones I used. Gutty, I started with Gutty Tiny Clean City Game Assets. And then I just started implementing the basic things I needed. You needed to move around the screen. I needed the camera to follow you. I needed you to have a power washing gun. And then I just did the easiest implementation I could start with, which was just your power washing gun shoots to wherever exactly you put your mouse. And I was talking with my brother. I think probably a better way to do that would be to make it more like, like I should probably re-implement it with the gamepad because I'm thinking, you know, you want to like aim your gun and then maybe even control how powerful it's shooting. But definitely you want to be aiming it more instead of telling it exactly what, where to shoot. Because like right now, it's sort of like a sniper rifle gameplay. And I want it to feel more like a, like a hose. What I really like about this game is it is the opposite of Witchmore with regards to like low resolution. It is not high def. It is super simple. It is not this complicated thing that has multiple game modes, things you can pick up and interact with. Pixel Washer is just cleaning pixels. And what I love about that is I can really focus on that. You know, when people mention things I should fix or change, I'm not like overwhelmed with Pixel Washer because there's nothing really to do. There's like polish and content, but really most of the work I need to do revolves around making the power washing feel really, really good and introducing depth and complexity there, like nozzle sizes, strength of the blast. Like I don't want to get too complicated, but maybe even like the kind of soap you're using, how much soap you have. Like I. I want it to be a really chill game. 
I don't want you to have to worry about time or ammo or any of that kind of stuff. It's just pixel washing. I'll have a lot more to say about it in the future, I'm sure, and I'll be doing some devlogs and stuff. For now, you can go to veladria.com slash pixel washer, and that should send you to the Kickstarter page. Please follow the page, and it'll take you to the itch page. Uh, please do play it. And if you want to send me your thoughts, you got to jump into Discord. Let me know. There's a channel just for Pixel Washer. There's already a bunch of stuff I know needs fixing. And like I said, I might completely redo how the actual washing of the pixels goes. But there's already two levels. The first one's pretty small. And the second one is uh, medium uh, to large. Like one time it took me 20 minutes to clean it, I think, because I was just chilling out, having a good time. Uh, definitely one thing I need to fix is sometimes you can have like a lost pixel where uh, it's just really hard to see the dirt and there needs to be tools that can either, uh, you know, highlight the dirt or help you zero in on it. Uh, I've even thought about just not putting the dirt on pixels that are too dark or using a different composite operation for those dirt pixels over dark pixels where it would do like it would make those pixels lighter to make them pop off the screen more. So, you know, a lot of different ways to go about that. And those are the sorts of things I'm going to be figuring out uh, as we go forward. And I'll be doing some of these videos to help promote the Kickstarter, but there will be a point where like, you know, if the Kickstarter fails, I will put this down. So we'll see how it goes. I'm really not ready to talk about it yet. Uh, so this is hard for me. I've got a series of really cool videos prepared for it that'll help promote the game. And I haven't done it, but I'm going to make a devlog and I have so much uh, game dev footage recorded for that. So I'm pretty excited about it. I, I'm going out of town here pretty soon, so I don't know when exactly I'm going to be launching the Kickstarter, but it's uh, it's got to come up fast. And I hope you'll support it. So go play it right now. Lastly, I just want to thank you for the kind messages and emails and whatnot. I think that last episode kind of hit a chord with a lot of you the way it did with me. And it's so uh, cool to see and hear about that, especially since it's the kind of episode where uh, it, it's a lot... I don't know, putting myself out there, you know, trying to be uh, more honest and about this stuff. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me feel insecure sometimes. So, uh, yeah, keep those messages coming. I mean, <laughs> the positivity and the kindness I've been receiving from you is exactly what powered this podcast. So thank you very much. Good luck with your projects. And it's time for you to go make the game. <laughs>